Chapter Two of His First and Last Appearance by Francis J. Fennes J. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Chapter Two, showing how Philip and Mister Dunn, becoming friends, pass an agreeable half hour, and how Mister Dunn gets an idea which he discreetly keeps to himself. While Philip was eagerly awaiting the order for two bowls of oyster soup, Mister Dunn again gazed earnestly into the little lad's face. He found in it a strange fascination. It was a round, chubby face, beautiful in the soft, tender, vaguely defined curves of early years. The boy's complexion was pale and clear, so clear and pale that the few freckles upon his face stood out quite distinct. His mouth was rather large and his throat round and full, the throat and mouth which so often go with a lovely voice. His eyes, large and dark and confiding, were particularly beautiful. They were indeed, like the mouth, out of proportion with the rest of the face, and, as is sometimes the case, gave the countenance that irregularity which is an added charm. His hair, soft and abundant, was quite black. At present every feature was in a state of tranquillity, of perfect contentment. Not a line upon it spoke of trial or trouble. It is so easy for the young to shake off all unpleasant memories. Philip noticed the earnest gaze of his new friend. Mr. Dunn, he said calmly, why are you staring at me so hard? I'm trying to trace you, Philip, and somewhat out of countenance, Mr. Dunn began to tuck out his mustache. I noticed you doing that before, continued Philip in the same calm voice. Doing what? Catching hold of your mustache and pulling at it, as if you wanted to get it loose. Now thoroughly disconcerted, Mr. Dunn put his hands into his pockets, smiling sheepishly the while. It occurred to him, then and there, that for the past ten years he had been in the habit of showing emotion by tugging at his mustache. The young gentleman, seated smilingly before him, was the first of all his acquaintances who had ever brought the fact home to him. At the thought of all the remarks that must have been made about this idiosyncrasy, he blushed furiously. Mr. Dunn was sensitive to a fault. The young inquisitor noticed the red mantling in the other's face, and grew concerned at once. The look of placidity and perfect contentment gave place to an expression of anxiety. How tender the face grew at once! Even in his embarrassment, Mr. Dunn noticed the rare change. "'I beg your pardon, sir. I'm afraid I have done what I've often been told not to do. Isabel has often told me not to ask questions of people. She says I have no tact.' Well, Philip, I'm glad you asked that last question all the same. It looks very stupid to see a man trying to pull away his mustache. Oh, I didn't mean that, sir, cried Philip, throwing out his hands, palms up. It doesn't look bad. That is, I mean, it doesn't look so very bad. At least, not in you, sir. And Philip went very red, as he realized that, despite his explanations, the situation was not improving. Thank you, my boy. Your sister, I see, has taught you to be truthful. Isabel's all right, answered Philip, as though his few words exhausted the subject. Now, as you have asked me a few questions, Philip, I suppose I may take payment in kind. What's that, sir? asked Philip, opening his eyes and looking puzzled. Would you object to answering me a few questions in turn? Oh, not a bit, sir. Here comes the soup. 
he added with a sudden access of cheerfulness. I'm very fond of oysters, and it's ever so long since we've had em. As the oysters put down the smoking bowls before them, Master Lachance gazed about the room with much animation. He liked it. It was very bright and pretty. Everything was in perfect taste, while Laurel and Ivy gave it the pretty Christmas touch. The bright faces all about him added to it the element of sweet human life. There were many women, some girls, and a few men seated at the tables, and the air was fragrant with perfume, and silvery with gentle tones and light laughter. The waitresses, neat-handed, gentle-moving, were gliding in and out among the tables, busy yet bright, quick yet noiseless. "'This is nice, isn't it?' said Philip, pausing between the spoonfuls. "'I'm glad you like it.' "'So am I.' When I grow up, I'm going to have oysters for every meal, and I'll not let Isabel do a bit of work. Indeed? Not one bit. She intends to work for a living, and I don't like it. I like crackers in my soup, don't you? No, sir. When I begin to earn my living, I'll make her dress in one of those things that have puffs on the sleeves like balloons, and she'll play lawn tennis and go visiting in a carriage with white horses. And, if she wants to, she shall ride a bicycle." And what are you going to do? Oh, I'll work. And sometimes, when I haven't too much to do, I'll sing for Isabel and play baseball. What sort of work do you intend doing? I don't know, sir, yet. I used to want to be a motorman, but that's more fun than anything else. I don't think I could have oysters for all the family on that kind of work. The conductor man gets lots of money from the passengers, and I used to think I'd like that. But Isabel's been telling me that he has to give it back to somebody else, and so I changed my mind again. I don't see much sense in collecting nickels all day and making change for people and then handing it all over to somebody else. No, I don't think I should care for that. What do you think I ought to be, sir? I'll have to know you better, and you'll have to get several years older before I begin to think of answering that question. So you came from New York... Yes, sir. We got here three days ago. Who are we? Isabel, myself, and my other sister, Marie, and my little brother, Charlie. That's the whole family. Why, have you no father and mother? Papa died over five years ago. I hardly remember him. Mama died just about two weeks ago. Maybe it wasn't that long, but it seems like a year. Here little Philip's eyes grew cloudy, and the touching quiver of his voice moved his listener very much. "'That's too bad,' he said. "'I'm sorry I asked you about it, Philip. It's a terrible thing to lose one's mother. Were you ever in Milwaukee before?' "'No, sir,' answered Philip. "'It's a nice place, isn't it?' He went on, brightening suddenly. "'I think Grand Avenue is the nicest street in the world.' especially up there from Ninth Street all the way out. Isabel took me walking there, and it was great. They're all nice people there, ain't they? What makes you think so? Because I can see it on their faces. There are lots of nice people in the world. Where did you get that voice of yours, Philip? In answer to this question, the boy broke into a little laugh. Several ladies turned toward him involuntarily. It was indeed silvery and beautiful, an instinct with music. 
When Philip laughed, he drew back his head and half closed his eyes for very enjoyment. It's the best thing I've got, he said, bringing his head back to its usual position and opening his eyes full. I guess I always had it. Papa was a musician, and Mama used to sing most beautifully, nicer than the birds you hear out in the country when it's springtime. Was you ever out in the country when it was spring? Often. That's where I'm going to live when I grow up. You see... Aren't you going to say something about your voice? Interrupted Mr. Dunn gently. Oh, yes. Where was I? When I was seven, I was sitting on the curb one day in front of our place in New York, a humming, when a queer-looking man came along and stopped to listen. After I got through, he asked me my name and where I lived. I told him. Then he said his name was Professor Himmelstein, and then he thought my voice was just immense. The next thing I knew, he went to my mother and asked her to let him train me for nothing. He had a great big mustache that curled up at the corners, but he was a splendid teacher. He got hold of me three times a week for an hour. Did you like him? You bet I did. Sometimes, when I didn't sing well, he would pull his hair and dance around the room. You'd think he'd had a fit. But when I sang well, he used to look so happy, and he kissed me and buy me oranges. One time when I sang a song, he took me off and gave me an oyster supper, just like this. Oh, he was good. How long did he teach you? Till I left New York, sir. What have you come to Milwaukee for? That's the funniest part, sir. I don't know, and neither does Isabel. It's a mystery, she says. If you wish, sir, I'll tell you all about it. Mr. Dunn would fain have heard the story. He was deeply and unaccountably interested in the little boy facing him, but the word mystery had a sudden effect. It occurred to him at this juncture that to get the boy's life story might be an advantage of his youthful candor and innocence. If he could make the acquaintance of Isabel, he might inquire more freely of her. So he answered, I fear we shall have no time for the story this afternoon. Remember, you must meet your sister. That's so. I was nearly forgetting. And it's about time, too. Before you go, my boy, give me your address. It's somewhere on Sycamore Street, near 10th. I don't remember the exact number. We are boarding with Mrs. Downing. She's a nice woman and likes boys. Mr. Dunn, having made a note of this, rose and followed by Philip, went to the cashier's desk. Do you like candy, Philip? He asked. Of course I do. So do my sisters and my brother, Charlie. Especially Marie. She's a candy fiend. Put me up a couple boxes of your best mixed candy, if you please, said Mr. Dunn to an attendant behind the counter. When Philip, richer by these sweet gifts, reached the street, he was simply radiant. I should like to stay with you till your sister comes, Mr. Dunn observed, but I fear I cannot afford to do so. I have several pressing engagements, and, possibly, may be called away from town on important business. So, Philip, we must separate. Goodbye, then, Mr. Dunn, said the boy, throwing back his head and catching the hand offered him. The man shook hands warmly enough. The boy, with his face still raised, looked surprised and hurt. His face had a look of expectation. Goodbye, Mr. Dunn, he repeated, still clinging to the hand. Mr. Dunn gazed down and understood. Bending quickly, 
he kissed the little innocent, who at once broke into a smile of perfect satisfaction, and then the big man retreated with a blush which would have done credit to a little schoolgirl. He had gone but a few steps when a light stroke fell upon his arm. He turned and perceived Philip, who at once backed away rapidly. "'Last tag!' laughed out Philip in explanation, and with that he was lost in the crowd. At that moment Mr. Dunn, as the saying is, might have been brought down with a feather. "'By George!' he exclaimed under his breath after some minutes of brooding. "'By George! This is a red-letter day! It has given me an idea!' End of chapter 2